Come On Jabe and Dancing in the Wings are my two absolute favorite. And I think it's because it was so linear. There was so much drawn. You could see the line and there was a lightness to it that I, uh, I just absolutely love. Before we could read, before we could speak, and maybe even before we could understand stories at all, we all turn the pages of books because of the pictures. And for most of us, those illustrations were our very first encounter with art, our mind-expanding introduction to the idea that lines on paper could mean something, a moon, a caterpillar, an island full of wild things. Those memorable lines on paper stay with us for life. We focus a lot on novelists here on the podcast, but today we talk instead to someone whose early love for picture books ultimately led to an acclaimed career creating those images herself. Shadra Strickland won the Ezra Jack Keats Illustration Award for her work on 2008's Bird, written by Zeta Elliott. She went on to illustrate 2011's Whitewater by Eric Stein and Michael S. Bandy, and 2014's Please Louise by Toni Morrison and Slade Morrison, among many others. But with 2023's release of Jump In, Chandra began to soar as a solo artist, taking on both illustrations and authorship herself. I just wrote and my agent kept a folder of all of our, our work and I tossed it in there. And she immediately was like, where have you been hiding this? And I think she sewed it within like a week. In this episode, Chandra joins us to discuss this inflection point in her career and her journey, which began with reading and drawing under her grandmother's kitchen table. We'll also hear about the nuts and bolts of her illustrating process, her thoughts on AI-generated picture books, and why Beyonce would only be Chandra's number two choice to play her in a biopic. My name is Jordan Lloyd Bookie, and this is The Reading Culture, a show where we speak with authors and reading enthusiasts to explore ways to build a stronger culture of reading in our communities. We dive into their personal experiences, their inspirations, and why their stories and ideas motivate kids to read more. Let's start off with talking about like your early experiences. Did you live with your mom and your grandma? Like, did you all three live together? No. So I lived with my mom, but my mom was a teacher and we lived sort of out of zone of where she wanted me to go to school. And so I was able to take the school bus to my grandmother's house every day after school. So for like K through five, I spent every afternoon at my grandma's house and spent a lot of time with her. Oh, that's so nice. And did your grandmother ever see some of the work that you created? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She was alive for um, Bird. Uh, she passed away 2016, and then my mom passed away 2017. So that that was that was a rough couple of years. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, she was so happy. Sunday shopping, the story about uh, a little girl, Evie, and her grandmother who shopped by cutting things out of the newspaper was her favorite because that's exactly what we used to do when I was at her house. We open the the wish book and just pick out all the things that we couldn't afford that we would buy. And when she saw it, she kikied and laughed so hard, threw her head back. She was like, is that me and you? I was like, it sure is, Grandma. It sure is. <laughs> so she did. I love the style of that book, too. Thank you. <laughs> when I talked to you in 2014, 
2018 it was, I looked back, we had this other conversation. You At that time, you were talking about working on your book that just came out that we'll talk about in a little bit, Jump In. I don't know if it was Jump In. Yes, that was Jump In. But the things kind of came to a halt with your mom, I'm guessing, and your grandma. That's like a really traumatic couple of years. Yeah, it was rough. It was rough. I, um, you know, my grandmother was up in age, so we were expecting it and she was ready to go. So we were all very... Um, grateful for her to be able to transition. It was not fun at the end of her life. And she made peace with it. You know, she kept every time I saw her like, Shadra, I just don't know why I'm still why I'm still here. And I'm like, well, if if you start being nicer to people, maybe, maybe Jehovah will let you go. <laughs> she was a Jehovah's Witness. And we had a lot of jokes together. So that made made her chuckle. But then my mom was unexpected. I had just purchased my my home in 2017, and the plan was always for her to live with me and enjoy her retirement, and I wanted us to travel together and spend all this time. And she was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis, and they had given her a timeline, but I am a foolish optimist and don't always agree with medical diagnoses, right? And I'm like, well, you know, if we exercise, if we take good care of ourselves, we can we can do this, we can do that. So um, it was apparent that she couldn't be at home by herself. You know, she had an episode at home. My cousin is a physician's assistant at Emory and was able to meet her at the hospital. And she was like, she can't be by herself. So I had to drive down. I literally, I'd moved into my house maybe two weeks prior, had to <laughs> drive down to Atlanta, pack her entire house and her dog and get oxygen tanks and all the things and then bring her back here. And so uh, we had six months together and then she passed away and it was rough. I was still teaching and trying to figure out the caregiver thing and me being her only child up here and family in Atlanta. It was very, it was a very, very, very difficult time. But yeah, after that, things really, things stopped. You know, slowdown is, is an understatement. <laughs> things stopped. I was not in a creative space for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. I'm really sorry about your mom. It just feels like the kind of thing where it must just take... I don't know. What did it take to get to like climb out of that? Why are you trying to make me cry at the beginning of this interview? (laughs) Jordan, this is not what we're here for. Um, It took time, you know, and and every day still feels like I'm really going to start crying. It feels like a, a little bit of heartbreak every day and that doesn't go away. Let's talk about when things were good and you were younger and everybody was healthy But when you were younger, I think I heard somewhere you were describing yourself like under the table reading while they were talking. Yeah. So during those times, because we would, you know, I would be at my grandmother's house in the afternoons and my mom would come and we'd usually end up staying for dinner and they just end up watching television and gossiping at the kitchen table. And she had this glass table and I would sit underneath it and draw and read and play while they, you know, were talking adult talk. But it was it was great. I was very, very well loved. I was a very well loved child. And my mom was um, an English teacher at the beginning of her career. And so I spent a lot of time reading and pretending I was smarter than her students, her high school students, <laughs> which I was not. <laughs> but grading papers, like she taught me how to like grade her test papers. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. It was hilarious. Her students did not love knowing that her 10-year-old daughter was grading <laughs> their Shakespeare yeah. test. Like, little, like your little cursive <laughs> exactly. little person. Exactly. Hand. 
But what did you like to read when you were younger? What were some of like, do you remember some of the, since you are a picture book creator, what were some of the picture books that you remember that stick with you? Yeah, one one book, and I talk about this often, is this book called um, Alexander. And I always forget the illustrator and the author's names, but it was a book, a picture book about a, a little boy, an only child, who had an imaginary striped horse. The striped horse got blamed for all the things that he did. And the striped horse was the one that got fussed at and all these things. And I just loved it. I think part of it was because the horse reminded me of the striped horse on, um, what's that gum? That is a popular stripe. Oh yeah, yikes, stripes, yeah. fruit. Fruit strike gum. Fruit strike gum. So I think visually, as silly as it sounds, I think visually I associated that horse with the gum, but I have a copy downstairs. I I still love that book. And I loved books like... um, how does weather work? And where does rain come from? What does the sun do? I loved informational books like that, um, little golden books. So those are the earliest. And I think, you know, when Reading Rainbow came along, that's when I discovered Clouds by Pat Cummings and was just so like blown away <laughs> at, at what that book was. So those are my, my earliest, you know, I think my adult picture books are the ones like The Snowy Day and um, Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters. But as a child, I remember like <laughs> those really simple, you know, how do things work books were my jam. <laughs> you know, what kind of strikes me about those books. And then you said little golden books or whatever. is like some of those have a lot of detail, like when they're those illustrations, because they're the illustrations usually in those books about the weather or something. They have a lot of and they're usually like very different one from the other, you know. Right, right. But you have like, you know, prolific picture book artists who who did those books and still do, you know. I think the Provinsons had done, had gotten their start doing like little golden books and then went on to win the Caldecott. So, you know, it's it's the same creative community making <laughs> making those really rich, detailed starter books and, you know, to get you into picture books. Thinking back now as an artist, were there stylistic aspects of those illustrations that drew you in even then? For the information book, I loved how clean they were, the design of them. There was usually a lot of white space, you know, not, not every page was fully illustrated. Alexander was that way too. They had, it was little vignettes and then like fuller pages. And I'm thinking maybe that was an entryway in for me because I still like that kind of thing now, even though you don't see it in my picture books. And then I was say. <laughs> for, for clouds, I remember everything was so shiny. Like the way that Pat illustrated that book, everything was so glistened and the main characters were black and that was really cool for me. And it was so colorful. (laughs) I just wanted to live in that world and the idea that there are these beings up there that make these clouds. I I loved it. It was the wildest thing I had seen (laughs) as a kid. Yeah, that's like the one that sticks with you. And LeVar Burton really opened, I mean, he really- Oh, changed the game. Did you used to watch that like pretty much all the time? Every time he came on. Between Reading Rainbow and then Bob Ross, those are my- (laughs) Those are my two. And I remember my mom always encouraged me as an artist. Like she saw that early on. And I had a little easel and my cheap poster paints. And I had my pad and would watch Bob Ross and try to paint along with him and get so frustrated because it never looked like what he was painting on the screen. (laughs) So she saw that in you at a very young age and really cultivated that you had a love for for drawing, for painting, just for art. 
for art and mostly drawing and painting. You know, I went to public school, so there wasn't a whole lot of exposure to lots of different materials and techniques, but drawing and painting was was easy. You know, I always had access to that. And so because of that, she enrolled me into like community art classes, not, not community art school, but like there were um, community art centers would have like portraiture class. And that really changed everything. I remember my teacher's name was Kip. I don't know his last name. It was Kip and it was at the Callenwald Art Center. And he was the first person to teach me how to draw an eye that looked like an real, a real eye. <laughs> and that opened all the doors. <laughs> Come on, Rain, I say, squinting into the endless heat. Mama lifts a listless vine and sighs. Three weeks and not a drop, she says, sagging over her parched plants. The sound of a heavy truck rumbles past. Uneasy, Mama looks over to me. Is that thunder, Tessie? She asks. Mama hates thunder. I climb up the steps for a better look. It's just a truck, Mama, I say. I am sizzling like a hot potato. I ask Mama, may I put on my bathing suit? Absolutely not, Mama says, frowning under her straw hat. You'll burn all day out in the sun. Up and down the block, cats pant. Heat wavers off tar patches in the broiling alleyway. Ms. Grace and Ms. Vera bend, tending beds of drooping lupines. Not a sign of my friends Liz or Rosemary. Not a peep from my pal Jackie Joyce. I stare out over rooftops, patch chimneys, into the way off distance, and that's when I see it coming. Clouds rolling in. Gray clouds, bunched and bulging under a purple sky. A creeper of hope circles round my bones. Come on, rain, I whisper. Come on, Rain is Newbery Award winner Karen Hess's 1999 picture book about a young girl excitedly awaiting a rainstorm during the hot, dry summer. The story, which reads almost like prose, is complemented by full-page watercolored artwork. Given the theme of the story, the choice of watercolor is fitting. The warm colors bring the story to life, allowing the reader to nearly feel the southern heat through the pages. It's a perfect example of the magic picture books hold. They aren't just a story with images as an afterthought, nor the other way around, but a collaboration of the senses to immerse readers in its world. Come On Rain successfully did that for Chadra. Come On Rain is probably my favorite picture book of all time. The writing, that listless mind, that just, ah, the <laughs> Everything sizzles when it comes out of your mouth. And it feels very Southern to me, you know, the way that she describes that heat, even though in the illustrations they're in a, a bigger city, but you get, you know, Southern cities. I just, oh, I just love it so much. <laughs> when did you read it? I read Come On Rain probably in grad school. Yeah, in grad school. And I remember copying some of the illustrations in black and white just to study the use of contrast. I had a really hard time, you know, balancing my lights and darks in, in my paintings. And I just, I love John Moose's work, all of it. It's just such a beautiful book to me. Do you look at other illustrators when you're looking for your, your inspiration? I remember you talking about kind of looking to fine art. 
Sure. I look at both. I mean, I look at everything. I mean, it's all the help I can get, essentially, when I'm working on my art. I like, everybody, please. Come on, Rain lives in my studio. I have books all over the house, and they rotate depending on what I'm working on. Um, Kadir Nelson stays in my studio also. His earlier work, specifically, I loved Dancing in the Wings. I loved... Um, Big Jabe, the books that feel... Um, yeah, just the two of us. That was yeah, just the one. two of us veered a little bit. I think Come On Jabe and Dancing in the Wings are my two absolute favorite. And I think it's because it was so linear. There was so much drawing. You could see the line and there was a lightness to it that I uh, I just absolutely loved. And his inventiveness when it came to characters. Because before that, I was so used to seeing like John Steptoe and all the work that was very um, realistic, you know. So in picture books specifically for African-American kids, there wasn't a lot of character design, you know. And so his book was one of those that was like, oh. Can you talk more about that character design? I think it's changed so much now. Now it's not true. You know, now you have character design, meaning that the characters are completely invented by the artists and lightly referenced from real life, right? As opposed to looking at work from, you know, me and Bird, um, I would say a James Ransom and E.B. Lewis and Jerry Pinckney, where they look like real people that you would see out on the street as opposed to caricatures, not not characters in the way that we think of caricatures in like the 80s and 90s, but characterizations of, of real people. And so he was one of the first that you saw, Kadir and Nelson was one of the first where you really felt that when you were looking through his. Yeah. And his characters still felt like they felt alive, but you can see a somewhat of a formula in the way that he would draw um, faces specifically. And even the bodies felt, the bodies felt constructed, but they still felt really like flexible and, and movable and all that kind of stuff. While Shadra's passion for art led her to a highly successful career as an illustrator, there was still a storyteller within her awaiting a debut. I've actually always loved Shadra's work, and I even interviewed her in a series of Google Hangouts I hosted nearly 10 years ago. But even then, she knew she wanted to author her own book, too. It wasn't until 2023, with the release of Jump In, that Shadra took a monumental step, writing and illustrating her own story. I asked her to walk us through what inspired her to take that leap. The story came first, and the story happened like 10 years ago. I sold Jump In, I always say 100 years ago. And it came from a commercial. I was watching the commercial and there were people jump roping and double dutching. And I was like, oh, that was so cool. And then I sat down and wrote this story in response to that. And you it, wrote what's here right now? Like you actually wrote that most of that? Like I wrote the whole thing. You did that? I wrote the whole, I sat down and like. In one sitting? Yeah, it was one sitting. I sat down and wrote it because it was an exercise and I wasn't trying to write a story that I wanted to get published. Man. You tricked, it's like you tricked yourself without knowing it. Exactly. I've written so many other stories that I was working, like laboring over. And Jump In, I just wrote, and my agent kept a folder of all of our, our work, and I tossed it in there. And she immediately was like, where have you been hiding this? And I think she sold it within like a week. I had to do one revision. The editor that bought it was like, oh, can you add 
more types of plays. At first, I think it was just the rope. And I was like, oh, yeah, shoot, that makes sense. And I did. I wrote, I was going uh, to New York on the bus and sat down and added a few things, changed a few things, and we sold it the next day. Oh, you're like, oh, yeah, here, somebody's playing basketball. Somebody's playing. Yeah, I just went down the list of like things that I like to play when I was a kid, you know, and then what made sense in my head. So even when writing it, I see the illustrations. And so in the manuscript, I um, broke it into the page turn. So it would be, you know, one pace down, two, three, copyright dedication, four, five. We see kids running out of a building and then that first stanza. So when I was writing it, I was writing it and including art notes to myself and to whoever was going to hopefully purchase it. (laughs) I don't know what you call that, but it's not, it's like some people write with like a cinematic view in mind, but you're, you have the book in your head. You have the pictures in your head. For that one, yeah, it doesn't always work that way. But I think for most illustr- I think for most writers, when they write the story, they see it unfolding, you know? And for illustrators- Of course, but, yeah. you know, they can't see it in their own hand. Right. They can see it, and then they, then they just hope that this person that, that we'll get becomes it. their art, you know, <laughs> Well, it's interesting because some, some authors will try to include art notes. And I have received manuscripts like that early in my career, and I would be so offended. Like, like, why are you trying to tell me what to do? Like, let me envision it myself. You don't know about this. Yeah, like, I got this. And so, but for my own, I was writing it to direct myself and just, you know, envisioning the whole thing. And basically, and that, that's also a way to help me with pacing to try and understand, like, does this unfold over a short period of time, a day, like what's happening around me? I love in the book, and I was just wondering if you had this in your head, how like some of the pages, well, I don't know what it's called, but they like fold out. The gate folds. And so then it's like this little surprise, but then sometimes they'll fold vertically or horizontal, you know, so it's like interactive and it feels, and it's surprising. Yeah. How did, was that like part of your? No, <laughs> it was not. You know, when I was making the dummy um, for the book, I tried to sketch it out in a regular 32 page format and it just didn't fit, you know, like that refrain jump in specifically felt like an additional beat and it needed something else. And the something else wasn't going to be more pages. I'm not a person that works with panels. I'm think I was thinking about this recently, like, oh, if I revise that, I wonder if I could have done this with like panels. And maybe I could, but I'd worked in design and I've seen books with gatefolds and I was just like, oh, this might be fun, right? And so I made a, a black and white version of it, just sketches and made the whole book with the gatefolds opening and sent it to my editor and Mary Kate. And she's like, you were smart to do this because if you had just told us you wanted gatefolds, we would have been like, no. <laughs> Why? They don't want that a gatefold. It's expensive. It's expensive. But it worked for the book. And and for me, Jump In is, it beckons you to play. And I think for me, the gatefolds is that experience of the book asking you to play with it and discover and, you know. Yeah, it does feel very playful. And is this, so, okay, first of all, did you, when you were younger, is this sort of like a representation of your memories of playing outside when you were younger? Is that, does it stem from that? For sure. You know, I was an only child. So that kid, the first kid in the book that yells, jump in, that's me. <laughs> like, please like come somebody. and play with me. Exactly. <laughs> please come and play with me. And I grew up in apartments and, 
you know, you go outside and you walk around until you find people to play with. And at a certain time, you could find a gang of kids outside riding their bikes and doing all these things. So, And then at school, we had recess and it was that everybody's on the playground and we're playing and, you know, bringing all of these types of plays in. So very much, very much my childhood. Yeah. Are there any like characters um, who you illustrated who are also actual people that you kind of remember or people besides your dog, besides Lucky? Besides Lucky. Lucky's the only dog, I guess. (laughs) Lucky's the only real character. So Leroy is based on loosely on my um, my best friend's husband. We all went to high school together and his nickname is Bruce Leroy (laughs) from The Last Dragon. (laughs) So Leroy, that name definitely reflects him. My niece, his daughter, August, is um, the character, unnamed character, Jackie, who was doing her homework. And so she posed for me for that character, even though she doesn't look like her. Outside of that, most of them were versions of myself. You know, there's a little girl with a broken arm. She has a cast on. I broke my arm twice as a kid and was still outside. Really? How? Oh, man. The first time... I was with my aunt and she had taken me to some friend's house and they had kids and the boys were chasing the girls through the house. I ran down the steps, slipped on the hanger, embraced myself and ran into the wall. The second time I had my cast, I had just taken, gotten my cast, take it off and I'm outside playing in my roller skates. There's a little girl in roller skates and jump in also. In my roller skates and as an only child, I am a show off a little bit. And I was like, yeah. look, everybody, look at me. And I did a cartwheel and fell over. You did it. And broke you did a cartwheel and roller skates? I did and broke my arm. Oh, wow. But it was good that I did because the first setting wasn't correct. And the doctor was like, we would have had to re-break this. And I was like, oh, well, the universe loves me because there's no way I was going to let you re-break my arm. Yeah, and the, I don't know if that was your left or your right arm. It's my right but, arm, you know, my drawing Yeah, arm. I was going to say that. Are you right-handed? I am right-handed. <laughs> yeah, so that could, I mean, you know, that could have been like your whole exactly. life would have gone a different way. Exactly. Okay, what if it had broken? What would your, what do you think in like an alternate universe is like the other Shadra Strickland blank? I would have been like Beyonce. I would have been, I totally would have been some like attention-seeking other creative. Absolutely. <laughs> I like it. Like, that's definitely the best answer anyone's ever given to that question for me. Beyonce. Yeah. Easily. Shadra. It works. She's a Virgo. I'm a Virgo. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Similarities yeah. are like, yeah. Regular listeners might remember that another author illustrator, Grace Lynn, was on The Reading Culture recently. And Grace raised some red flags about the potential use of AI in picture books. The future of the technology is still unknown, but its advancements have sparked an ongoing debate about the ethics and humanity of art. Speaking to another artist, I was curious to hear Chadra's perspective on the issue. AI is the thing that is um, stressful for artists, and, and mainly because the people that have created this technology are sourcing artwork from artists without their permission to help people create new art. And... Right now, I think that it is spectacle right now. It's this new thing. Ooh, look, I can make art. But if you look, and I've seen a lot of AI artists that make these really cold, beautiful things, but you can tell it's not from a real person. So the issue with that is I think most of the general public or civilians are easily um, seduced by that. Uh, But people who know art 
are not, right? And we were just talking about this at SCBWI where they talked about these robots actually writing also and what publishers are going to do to kind of catch that and not publish books made by robots. And the easy answer is, well, you know, I'm not going to publish something without talking to this person, without asking for other samples to try and like make sure they're real. But we also are very, very much at the beginning of this and don't know how it will grow, you know, and what we'll grow into. My hope is that the technology becomes useful for like education and not a tool that kind of moves into this um, commercial space and takes jobs away from real artists. But I don't know. It's a weird world. I mean, why couldn't we cure cancer or do something yeah. useful? Why do you have you to know? help a kid write their English paper? You know, like, right. why is that? Right. Who's that helping? Yeah. So I don't know. The short answer is I don't know. Um, I'm also not paying too much attention. I'm going to keep making my work. And so are the other real people and artists that are in the world. Maybe the robots can keep up. Hopefully they can't. (laughs) (laughs) Your work for Jumpin' is so grounded in the human experience. And it has like this neighborhood setting that feels very alive and makes me think about the neighborhood libraries and schools that you've visited while promoting the book. And I wonder, has that neighborhoody atmosphere that you created in the story, has that extended to your your visits to schools? So jump in, this this tour tour is, is like the first time I've actually had like a, a loosely coined book tour where it's been like every weekend I'm doing something. And I think now I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm an author now. So the conversation is different where in some of these events, they wouldn't have invited me just as the illustrator. I've had a ball. Like Jump In is the most playful book that I've illustrated. All of my other books for other people have been somewhat serious. And so the conversation, I feel more like a teacher in that space when I'm talking to them. But this experience has been pretending to double dutch and jumping up and down and really having a chance to play with kids. And it's just, I'm exhausted after it, but it's the best. (laughs) So y'all are actually jumping double dutch like during the visit. We are. So I have- um, How how are you now at at this stage in life? You know, how, how you still got it? I'm good. I well, you know, I only I jump this much and let the kids do the rest. Yeah. But you know, yesterday I enlisted a teacher and she was on one end, I was on the other, and we had our fake ropes and all the kids stood up and they double dutched in the fake rope. So it was great. Nobody got hurt. I'm not gonna get sued. It's a lot of fun. Have you had any like people, unexpected people jumping in in your uh, in your visits? I had the teacher's aide yesterday because when the kids were jumping, she was jumping with them. And I said, you know, Miss Jones, I, I have a feeling you you used to double dutch. She was like, I sure did. And I said, like, can you come show us how you how you double dutch and how you lift your <laughs> knees? And she came on in and did her high knee, <laughs> high knees and the kids didn't mimic that. So it is it is big fun. And I, I like to bring the adults in the room in as well as the kids to play. I love that. Like Miss <laughs> Mabel. Yeah, like Miss Mabel. <laughs> I love her. She's my definite favorite character. <laughs> She's everybody's favorite. <laughs> Unexpectedly. Because, oh you know, you want to be her, you know. Is she anybody? Is that like what, is that like no. Your, your, no. Would your grandma have been out there? No. She would have been out there. She, she would have double dutch. Okay. She would have been out there shaking. She absolutely would have been out there shaking her hips. And your mom? 
<laughs> my mom would have tried. She would have tried. Oh yeah, she would. And we would have had to tell her to sit down before she hurt herself. <laughs> she would have tried for sure. <laughs> and I didn't grow up double dutching. I grew up jumping rope, but double dutch was always so intimidating. And I was like, I don't want to get hit in the face with the ropes and all the things. But a lot of time jumping rope. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's the best exercise. It is. <laughs> Okay, now that you've done it, you've got jumping out there. People are loving it, and you get to see all of these kids who adore it so much. Do you think you'll continue to write the stories that you illustrate, or what do you have in mind for what's next in your career? I've never had anything in mind other than I want to make books. And and the goal was always, I want to make at least one book a year, right? And I think that's the speed that I can kind of manage right now. I'm working on the next two by other authors. And I think there will always be a balance of the two. With other authors, they're going to write stories that I could never think of, you know? Like, never, it would just never even occur to me. And so I like being able to um, engage and collaborate in that way. For my own work, it's fun. It's exciting. Jump in is the first. We'll see how it goes. I have two other manuscripts that I'm, I'm waiting on a contract for that I'm itching to kind of do like now, you know? So I'm definitely bitten by the bug. Um, but life is long. We'll see. I don't, I don't think I'll only be an author illustrator. And agent. What else is in your and agent and teacher and teacher? <laughs> what are other things like dreams that you have for yourself? Well, I think when I say that, I mean I, I will I will always work with other people, you know, and collaborate in story. I'd like to write some longer format work, maybe some middle grade. Um, that really intimidates me and scares me because that feels like real writing as opposed to picture books, which is playwriting for, huh. for me. But I'm open. I like living spherically in, in lots of different directions. And so we'll see. I'm, I'm thinking more about teaching and wondering if that part of my life needs to sunset so that I can focus more on my creative life. I don't think I'd ever leave teaching completely, but I think removing myself from full-time might be the way. But, you know, I always joke, I'm like, teaching is my um, my Bruce Wayne and writing and illustrating is my Batman. So <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Seems like maybe you've thought about this based on your answer about <laughs> what you would be if in the movie of your life. Who is playing you? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about who in your biopic? <laughs> is it Beyonce? No. One of my friends teases me all the time because my only childness is very real and comes out. And he's like, I just feel like you walk around with Chandra, 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 Chandra playing in your head all the time. <laughs> I'm like, that is so mean. And, you know, I am, I am very, um, I can be very singularly minded and, you know, just, I live in my own world. So in that biopic, it would be me. It would be me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, what are we, why are we talking about somebody else playing me? Who else would it be? It would be me. <laughs> Perfect answer. Thank you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Jump In has got kids moving. It's got Shadra moving. And now with her reading challenge, Move It, she wants you to move even more. 
My reading challenge is books that make you move, you know, like books that make you want to get up and shake it. <laughs> so <laughs> I have David Jumps In by Alan Wu. I Got the Rhythm by Connie Schofield Morrison. Uh, I love One More Dino on the Floor by Kelly Starling Lyons. Um, we All Play by Julie Flett. And then to bring us all down off of all that activity, You Are a Lion, which is yoga yoga based by Taeun Yu. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And also Jump In. And of course, Jump In. Michelle, I'm thinking about Michelle Obama. I'm thinking all the kids like, you know, jumping on the White House lawn. So this is like the picture book version of Let's Move. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. You can check out Chandra's Challenge and all of our author reading challenges at thereadingculturepod.com. Today's Beanstack featured librarian is Jen Sidarius, the media specialist at Newmarket Elementary School in Maryland. She shares a heartwarming story about the value of making different book formats available to students and families. One of my favorite moments in our media center happened about five years ago. It was when media centers and libraries really started promoting ebooks and recognizing the need for ebooks on a variety of different platforms. And we were really working to build and expand our collection, not just to support students and teachers in the classroom, but also like families at home would always have access to books, no matter what kind of devices they had. And I had a dad reach out to me and it, it confirmed to me that this was important and we needed to make sure that we were always budgeting and supporting ebook purchases. He was in the Navy and at that time he was deployed. And so he was across the United States, nowhere near his young children. And he reached out to me to say that he really appreciated that we had an ebook collection available to him and his family because every night what he would do while he was deployed and able to, he would pull up an ebook. And then his children would pull up that same ebook on their devices at home and he would read a bedtime story to them. And he loved having it. He said, you know, I, I know I could get a book. I know I could read a book over the phone, over FaceTime to them. But just knowing that we're both looking at the same pictures, the same text in real time, it, it made that bond stronger and made him feel like he was being part of his children's life. And contributing to their education and making this this moment with them every night. And I, I loved that. This has been The Reading Culture, and you've been listening to our conversation with Shadra Strickland. Again, I'm your host, Jordan Lloyd Bookie, and currently I'm reading Warrior Girl Unearthed by Angeline Bully and I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay. If you enjoyed today's show, please show some love and rate, subscribe, and share the reading culture among your friends and networks. To learn more about how you can help grow your community's reading culture, check out all of our resources at beanstack.com and join us on social media at The Reading Culture Pod for some awesome giveaways. And be sure to check out the children's book podcast with teacher and librarian, Matthew Winner. It's a book podcast made for kids ages six to 12 that explores big ideas and the way that stories can help us feel seen, understood, and valued. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was produced by Jackie Lamport and Lower Street Media and script edited by Josiah Lamberto Egan. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. 
Thanks for joining and keep reading. Reading.